dive straight into the text for tonight. You see up on the screen what the parameters of the text will be. So go ahead and turn in your own Bibles if you have them, or it'll be up here on the screen, or it's even in the bulletin. Lots of different ways for you to access uh, the text that we'll be reading tonight. And I'm going to ask if you would to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. God's word says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. God, we know that that cannot happen without your Holy Spirit allowing it. So we pray that you would send him in force to lead us here this evening in the way that only he can. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Guys, go ahead and be seated. All right. I've got a, a portrait of someone to show you guys. There he is. It's my man, Samuel Rutherford. If you've been around Vespers for much time at all, you've probably heard us reference this guy before, read a quote, uh, read an extended portion of one of his books to y'all. He's one of our faves around here. But he's from, as you can tell from his picture, from a long time ago. He's got kind of a, a different style than maybe we do now. <laughs> a different fit, as the kids might say. So here's the quote that I want to start with. It comes from one of his letters writing to a parishioner in his church. He says this to her. Every day we may see some new thing in Christ. His love has neither brim nor bottom. I've used that quote before in sermons. Usually I end it at the, or I use it at the end of sermons, but today I wanted to start with it because really when I sort of kind of got to the end of my preparation, what I realized is that the purpose of this message today is gonna be to do what he says, to see some new thing in Christ. And I don't mean by that that we're gonna make up something new or we're gonna invent something new. What we're actually gonna do is we're gonna see something that's right here in the scriptures that has been underneath our nose all along, but I have a hunch that most believers have never thought about Christ in the way that he's described in this section of Romans. 
Even, even believers that have read this part of Romans before may never sunk their teeth into what exactly this is saying about him. So my hope is that essentially what we're gonna be doing is what Rutherford says in his quote, seeing that new thing about Jesus and realizing that his love, his majesty, his grace has neither top nor bottom. Or he said it more poetically than that, neither brim nor bottom. The sort of gateway to this um, is going to be, well, it's going to be that phrase that I actually titled the sermon for, uh, the second Adam which sounds kind of weird and technical, but it actually is kind of a, a thematic statement for all that we read in these two paragraphs today. That, that actual phrase did not come up verbatim in the text that we have. You didn't see the words, the second Adam anywhere, but you really did see it in between the lines all throughout those two paragraphs because the whole thing is about this comparison and this contrast between Adam and Jesus. Or in other words, the first Adam and the second Adam. And I think it's gonna be in unpacking what the second Adam means that we're going to begin to see the grace and the mercy of Jesus shine even brighter than maybe we even thought it could possibly do. We're gonna see that new thing in Christ that Rutherford was talking about. And my hope is that you'll walk away from here this evening more in love with Jesus than when you came in. I suppose we could say that every week at church or every day when you meet with the Lord in your time alone with God. So not really inventing anything new here, just carrying on with the task of Christian discipleship, falling more in love with Jesus every day. So for tonight though, uh, as far as how we kind of organize our, our thoughts and reflections on this text, we're gonna break it down very simply into just two points. The first point is gonna be about the first Adam. We're gonna talk about who he was and why it matters. And then the second point, well, you guessed it, it'll be about the second Adam, who he is and why it matters. So it was pretty simple, right? No fancy detailed outline for me this week. I know sometimes I come up with, with really hard to remember ones, but this one should be easy. The first Adam and the second Adam. You with me? I can't, the mask thing makes it so hard for a preacher to know if people are following, but it also makes it where I can't tell if you're like half asleep either. So I guess there's a good part too as well. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We're gonna start with the first Adam you see up here on the screen, and we're gonna talk a little bit about him. Now, the very first verse that we read today uh, is a little bit curious because it's incomplete. Paul begins making a comparison that he actually never really finishes, at least not immediately. I didn't notice this early on. It took one of the, the, the study resources I was reading to kind of really point it out to me, but he begins saying, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, but then before he can finish that comparison, he gets sidetracked and he begins talking about that one man that he starts the comparison with. And the reason why is because he wants to make sure that before he gets on with the comparison that he, he knows that his listeners understand the significance and the meaning of that one man through whom sin entered the world through. A guy that we're referring to tonight as, well, up on the screen, the first Adam. 
Let, let me ask you guys, who, who, who is this figure that we're talking about? It's not a trick question, by the way. Go with your gut on this one. Yeah, the Adam. The, the Adam from the book of Genesis, of Adam and Eve fame. That, that's the first Adam we're talking about. Nothing really fancy. And, and, and this Adam has the distinction of being the first ever human being, the first human being that God created. In fact, as you see up here on the screen, his name in Hebrew makes it incredibly obvious. His name is just a generic term for human or man. That's how he would like his handshake. Hello, I'm, I'm human. Like, okay. It's very obvious and clear. So he is the first ever human being, and because of that, it means that he is the first ancestor of every single one of us. He's all of our forefathers, or excuse me, all of our, that's really complicated to say that. He's the forefather of all of us. There we go. Now, that is kind of a cool fact in and of itself, but its significance gets even more robust when we consider this, that because Adam is the first, the first human being ever created, he has a special calling, a unique calling that is his and his alone. It's a calling that sometimes we refer to or theologians refer to as being our representative head. I think I've got it up here on the screen. Yeah, as the first, he is our representative head. We can just gonna shorten that tonight by saying our representative. But what this means is that he is a person that in him, his actions transmit to all of his descendants after him. So what he does transmits to everybody that comes after him. What he doesn't do transmits to all who come after him. His actions become our actions because he is our representative head. And everything that he does or doesn't do is kind of packaged to us as his children as our inheritance from him. It's kind of cool, huh? Well, actually, no, it's not cool at all. <laughs> because if you're familiar with the story of Adam in Genesis, you know that that calling of being our representative head is one that turns tragic very quickly because Adam disobeys God. One of the only things that God had told him and Eve not to do, Adam disobeys. And that sin, that disobedience, that brokenness of Adam is now passed down to all of his children, which includes you and I and our children after us. Anybody who is a human being, therefore who is a descendant of Adam, inherits that legacy of sin and disobedience and brokenness. His actions have become our actions. It, it, this is coming from the, essentially in the passage tonight, we got a lot of sort of compound statements, but the first part of each of these statements is kind of giving us uh, the kind of rundown, the blueprint of all that I'm talking about here about the representative. So up here on the screen, I've, I've, I've just reprinted the text and given some un underlined portions that show this, like in verse 12, the very first one we read, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's the first Adam. Or verse 15, for if many died through one man's trespass, 
Trespass there being kind of a, an older word for transgression or sin or disobedience. And then even at the very end of the text in verse 17, it says this, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. All of this is telling us that Adam as our representative head, as our first ancestor, what he does or doesn't do is given to us as our inheritance. One of the passages, I don't think I have it underlined in here, says, through him, death spread to all men because all sinned. Meaning that in him, in Adam, all of us sinned. There's a lot that we could make of this, but there's one direction that I want us to kind of sort of focus on tonight. And it's this. Our sin and our desperate sinful condition is way worse than we even give it credit for. And here's why I'm saying that. More often than not, when we think of ourselves as sinners in need of God's grace, we focus purely on our personal failings. So we say like, okay, I need God's grace because I know I lied last week. Uh, I, I was envious. I, I'm prone to fits of, of jealousy and anger. You know, I, I, I honored something uh, above God. You know, all these are sins that I'm personally guilty of. I need God's forgiveness and God's grace. And that is most certainly true. A huge part of our sinful condition is our personal failings. However, it's way bigger than that. It also includes our inheritance from Adam. In that sense, what makes us guilty of sin is not just the ways that we personally fail. What makes us guilty of sin is our stained heritage from our first forefather that's passed down to us through the generations, that's with us from day one. It goes way beyond just what I do. Theologians sometimes talk about it like this. They say that we inherit from Adam both the corruption of sin and the guilt of sin. The corruption of sin is something that probably we think of first and foremost when we think about sin, and then that is, it's, it's our tendency to do things that are wrong. It's like that magnetic pull that has, that when somebody tells me don't do this, what do I immediately wanna do? I wanna do that thing that they told me not to do. That's how we operate. So that temptation, that draw, that pull towards sin is part of what we've inherited from Adam. It's the corruption of sin. But we also inherit his guilt. That is the verdict that God pronounced against him that he had disobeyed, that he was guilty, that in the words of verse 16 in our text tonight, that he was condemned. That's passed down to us too. So to kind of put it in a nutshell, and I think I've said this before already, but I'll say it again. We as human beings are guilty of sin, not just because of what we've personally done wrong. We're guilty of sin because of who we are, children of Adam and the inheritance and the legacy that were given by him. Sin is a way bigger issue than we've probably even imagined. It's not fair, is it? 
Uh-uh. It's not. And believe me, there is nothing I can say. You're like, oh, the second half of this sermon, is Josh gonna unravel that for us and make us be like, oh, that's really fair. I get it now. Nope, can't do it. It's beyond me. And it's beyond me because I know that we're people that have grown up in a culture with a predefined notion of justice that will make this always feel very unfair. But what I can say is this, and this is gonna get, a, get ahead of myself a little bit, um, but I think it's worth saying right now. This idea of a representative that feels so unfair to us, you know, Adam from thousands of years ago and be like, his actions somehow I have to pay the price for? That's not fair. That same idea of a representative is what makes our salvation possible. It's the only way that salvation, as it's presented in the gospel, works. And if I reject the idea of Adam being my representative because it's so unfair and so unjust, I have to also reject the idea of the second Adam being my representative for the same reason. And believe me, we don't wanna reject that because it's good. Like I said, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because we haven't even talked about the second Adam yet. But I wanted to say that right here so that maybe as we begin to discuss the second Adam, that statement I just mentioned will, will make a little bit more sense if it doesn't make sense already. So, so let's jump into that right now. This is just like I said, just finishing out the second part of the sermon. Um, and it's gonna be on the second Adam, which quite truthfully, this whole text is about. I've probably spent way too much time talking about the first Adam because it's the second Adam who is the star of the show in these verses. Now, I, up in paradise, this didn't work so well. I asked them if anybody up there had seen the iPhone commercial where they're, they're showing like the cinematic mode of the new iPhone, where like the person in the foreground is really crisp and clear and the people in the background are all fuzzy and out of focus. Have y'all seen that? This is great. I don't know why, they must have been Android users up in paradise or something. I don't know, nobody acted like they had seen that. So in this text, it's Jesus, the second Adam who is the one that's in the foreground. Really the first Adam, everything else, those fuzzy characters in the back. Even in verse 14, it says this of the first Adam, it says, it's like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one to come. That is a foreshadowing, a blueprint, a, a, a hint, an idea of the ultimate one who was to come. That is Jesus Christ, the second Adam. All of what we've been talking about has been a setup to make us understand more about who Jesus is. Jesus, like the first Adam, also has this unique calling to be a representative head of his people. And remember what that means. That means that his actions are transmitted to his descendants as their actions. What he does or doesn't do is passed down to them as their inheritance. 
And I, I think I said this before, I was trying to really hammer home the point about the uniqueness of Adam's calling as the representative. And I said, he's the only human being in all of history that's ever had that designation. Well, that wasn't technically true. There's two. The first Adam, who we know from Genesis, but also Jesus, the second Adam, because he's a first as well. Not the first human being of all time, but he's the first representative of a new humanity. A humanity that is not going to inherit the corruption and the stain of sin like all the rest of us do. We actually confess this every week when we're saying the Apostles' Creed. We say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, he was not conceived by a human father. He was not conceived by ordinary means. And therefore, he does not inherit the corruption and the guilt of Adam. He does not receive that as his inheritance. He starts afresh, a new humanity that doesn't get that as their inheritance, but in fact, he creates a new inheritance for everyone who would follow after him. And whereas Adam, the first Adam, disobeyed God, Jesus, the second Adam, obeys perfectly. Whereas the first Adam believed the serpent, the devil, about all the lies that he was telling about God and twisting his word, the second Adam, Jesus, believes and trusts his father. Many of you guys know in here, multiple gospel accounts tell the story early on about Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And the devil in that story is doing the exact same thing that he did in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Twisting God's words, trying to get Jesus to believe him instead of his father. Jesus doesn't fall for that deception though. The second Adam trusts his father and believes and obeys. The legacy of the first Adam is sin. The legacy of the second Adam is righteousness and obedience and truth. And as the representative of this new humanity, Jesus offers anyone who follows him in faith to be the descendant of this new humanity that he represents so that his righteousness and goodness and beauty and grace passes down to all who believe in him in faith. Just a second ago, we were talking about how unfair it is that our representative from thousands of years ago, because he messed up, I have to bear the burden of that. But isn't it ironic that it's the same mechanism that makes your salvation possible? The second Adam from thousands of years ago, his righteousness is passed down to you and you get to bear the goodness of it. I really needed to bring a bottle of water up here. Got dry mouth. Verse 12, we said was an incomplete thought. It was a contrast that wasn't finished. Paul decided to kind of take a little detour to make sure that we knew about the first Adam before he finished it. But now that we do, maybe we could finish it for him. He says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
Let's finish that statement. So now righteousness has come into the world from the greater man, Jesus Christ. Just as death came into the world through one man, so now life has come into the world through the greater man, Jesus Christ. The first Adam gave us an inheritance of sin. But the second Adam gives us an inheritance that is so much greater. It's life, it's righteousness, it's goodness. And you know, I can't beat up on Paul too much for not finishing the thought because he does eventually. Verse 17, he finally gets back to the main thread and he finishes off kind of this section that we read by saying this, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's the contrast completed there. And it's beautiful. I told you as we started that the point of all this was that we could, in the words of Samuel Rutherford, see a new thing in Christ. And I don't know, maybe this isn't new to you. Maybe it's like, man, I've known about the second Adam since I was in kindergarten. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> but chances are, this is gonna be new to lots of us. The idea that our sin is so much bigger than just our personal failings, that's gonna be new to us. But then what that introduces is that the grace of Jesus is even bigger than we thought. And like I told you, my hope is that you come away from here seeing Jesus even more beautifully, even more wonderfully, even more full of grace and mercy than when you came in an hour ago. I was telling the folks up in paradise this morning that there was a, an interaction I had with a pastor one time who was warning me about, you know, you, you don't wanna talk too much about how bad sin is in church. You don't wanna discourage people and depress people. That's just bad, bad, bad. And I didn't say it to him in the moment, but I remember walking away from that and being like, you know what? I ain't scared of talking about how terrible sin is because I know it just gives me an opportunity to talk about how much better the grace of God is. Amen. And the digger, or excuse me, the deeper I dig the hole about our sinful condition, it just means the grace of God is able to fill it up even bigger and even more. The deeper we get down into that well where it's so dark and it's so bleak, the brighter the stars are gonna shine, the stars of Jesus' grace and mercy and goodness. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged about the inheritance from Adam. Be like, wow, that's really intense. Yeah, it is. But it's not nearly as intense as the grace of Jesus, the second Adam, who invites us into a new legacy, a new inheritance, one of righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see clearly your truth, to know you in all your fullness. God, I, not a single one of us in here can plumb the depths of who you are in all your fullness. Lord, all we ask 
is that each day you would allow us to see just more and more, even if just a little bit, of the beauty of Jesus, the loveliness of Christ, so that our worship might grow each and every day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving us from this awful inheritance from our first forefather and giving us the inheritance of the second Adam, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.